You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. I'm excited to be here. How are we doing, Embassy Church? I actually am really excited to be here because I wasn't here last week. Um, last week I had the privilege to, um, to head down to Cincinnati. Uh, the Salt Network is a church planning network that we are a part of. It's a larger family of churches that all have salt companies. They're all different autonomous churches, different names. Uh, but the one thing we share in common is we have salt companies, uh, which is our way of reaching the next generation. Uh, and so our network uh, planted a church down in Cincinnati. Uh, Go Bengals, am I right? (laughs) Go Bengals. Please don't tell me we have Rams fans in here. They bought their team. We got to go for the underdog. Go Bengals. It's the Super Bowl tonight. Golly. All right, I'm going to pump you all up, all right? Or I'm just going to pray for the spirit to do something crazy in here because we need a little more oomph, a little more unction. Um, But I was down there last uh, Sunday, and it was a blast. I I got to see actually one of my my oldest friends, He's the lead pastor of that church plant and just got to spend some time with him and his wife and his kiddos and see what God's doing in that city. Uh, and, and really, really neat. Um, but if I can be honest, um, and he doesn't listen to these podcasts, so I can be honest. Um, man, I like y'all way better. I really do. I would just so much rather be here. It just, it just felt a little weird, right? You know, I looked out and I just, I, I saw a few faces I knew because um, there were a handful of people from Louisiana, which is where I'm from, that moved up to help plant that church. But, but golly. Uh, I love this place, love what God's doing in this city, love what God's building here at Embassy, so um, it's good to be back. Um, I want to start um, our time this morning talking about self-sabotage, okay, uh, and we'll jump into our, our sermon series that Derek walked us through last week, but self-sabotage, okay, uh, I want to paint a picture for us, uh, a couple of illustrations, of course, not a really personal picture because that would feel awkward, um, of course, none of you have self-sabotaged anything in your life. Um, but, but here's a, a maybe um, less personal example of self-sabotage for you men out there. We're going to go with football again. we got the Super Bowl coming up. Hey, Valentine's is coming up, so if you forgot that too, that's just a note. You're welcome. Um, but we got the Super Bowl coming up, and, and maybe you know this or you've seen this. You watch this on Saturdays or Sundays. But for me, I grew up a Saints fan, and the Saints of today were not, are, are not the same as the Saints that I grew up with. I grew up with the Aints. Um, we had bags in our heads. It was really bad. And so I got to, like, watch self-sabotage, like, every week, you know. But it, it starts out, like, first quarter, you're just, you're throwing the ball down the field. You're playing aggressive, right. You're just, you're, you're, you're passing it on first down, second down, third down. It doesn't matter because you got nothing to lose. And then on defense, you're blitzing like crazy. You're just sending the house. And you go into halftime, and, and you're winning, like the Saints are beating whoever, the Steelers or the Packers or whoever was awesome back then. The Cowboys were awesome back then. You know, that's just a nod to my buddy Jace, big Cowboys fan. But the Saints are winning at halftime somehow. But, but you know what's coming if you're a Saints fan, right? You're going to come out of halftime and it's going to be run, 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 punt, okay? You ever had this experience as a sports fan and you're just like, are you kidding me? Are we really doing this again? Or it's prevent defense, and it's just like, yeah, just let them slowly go down the field for an entire half. Like, are you kidding me? And then you lose the game. Like, what happened? Self-sabotage. Like, the, the opponent didn't change. You changed. Okay? Are you tracking with me, men? Do we watch sports? Okay, yeah, sort of, kind of. Y'all have masks on. I can't see your faces. Blink twice if you know what I'm talking about. 
Um, maybe for you ladies, here's something, uh, maybe a little, again, this is not a personal example. I'm not describing anyone here, but, but, but maybe you have a friend. You have a friend who self-sabotages, right? She's the whole package. She's got looks. She's got character. She loves Jesus. She constantly is just finding these great guys, and things are just going great until they're not, you know, because, like, as stuff starts to get serious, she starts to question, like, man, well, I don't really like this about him. I don't really like that about him. And you're like, are you kidding me? You know? Like, no, he's not Michael Hosea. Like, he's not perfect, but, you know, it's a redeeming love joke. But he, he's great. And, and she gets cold feet, and she breaks up with him, right, because she's just terrified of, of intimacy or connection or anything like that. And so she's just like, man, I'm going to put a wall up. And what happens in that relationship? It's self-sabotage. Right? Stuff starts great. Something happens along the way, and then you are, like, completely off the tracks. Are you tracking with me with this imagery? Self-sabotage. Someone. Yep, it's me. Um, <laughs> no, someone else. It's not. This is a, a less personal example. <laughs> what we're going to look at this morning is, is a picture of self-sabotage. Because as Christians, um, man, we can do this a lot to ourselves. We can practice Christian self-sabotage. We can start out great where, man, like you hear the gospel and you're convicted of your sin and, and you respond to the grace of God. And, and, man, it's just it's that kind of puppy love phase where it's just like, man, I love God, I love people, and this is great. And then somewhere along the way, somehow, quite subtly, we're off the tracks. We just we self-sabotage. We start with just trusting God's promises and faith, but we don't continue how we commenced, right? We don't carry on how we started. We self-sabotage. And so what Paul's actually going to address to these Christians um, in this region of Galatia, these churches, is this idea of self-sabotage. And he's going to try and call them back and go, hey, you messed it up. Let me show you where you got off track and let me bring you back. Okay? So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can pull that out too. Read along with me. But Paul is ultimately, um, again, going to challenge them to carry on how they started, and he's going to start with calling them out. So I'm going to read for us um, 3, 1 through 14, and then I'm going to kind of give us some road signs as we walk through this passage. But this is us picking up in our The Gospel Period Sermon Series. If you're here for the first time, um, you're still going to, you're going to be all right. I'm going to give you some context. But we're walking through this book of Galatians because I think as a church plant, um, there's nothing more pertinent for us. Uh, again, background for this book is this is the first churches that the Apostle Paul planted. And years later, the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to him because they've gotten away from the gospel, and he's trying to call them back. And so if there's anything that's going to get us in trouble as a young church plant, it's going to be us getting away from the gospel. It's going to be the self-sabotage where we start out great, but somehow we, we, we subtly get off track. Okay, So I, I can't think of a more applicable uh, book. But hey, I said that about every book I preach, so if you come long enough, you'll catch on to that. It's like, this is the most important passage, um, but it really is. So Galatians 3, 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians. Man, we're starting out hot. I love the Apostle Paul. Who has cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? 
or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, you tracking with me? So again, Paul, um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, his tone in this letter is pretty different from a lot of the other letters he writes. But with the Galatians, he is stern. He is fierce. And to us, and likewise, like we need to hear it that way. And so he calls them out. He calls them fools. Right? Uh, uh, maybe a, a critter translation is you nincompoops. That's a funny word, isn't it? Nincompoop. You numbskulls, you dimwits. Like, are, are you missing it? You're self-sabotaging. You started one way, but you're not carrying on the way you commenced. And he's going to give kind of three movements to his line of reasoning. And it's really important that we grasp this because the argumentation that Paul uses is just so solid for us uh, as Christians who are prone to self-sabotage, who are prone to getting away from the gospel and going towards rules, okay? So his first argumentation is he's trying to help them remember how they began in faith, okay? Maybe what Paul would say to you is, if you're a Christian, remember how you first started. Remember when you first believed, Remember when the gospel was first sweet to your tongue? When it was first beautiful to your sight? Like, can you think back on that? Can you think back on those days? Okay? I mean, I, I think back, and this is a, somewhat of a translation to, to just the puppy love of relationships. Uh, me and my wife, uh, we dated in high school, high school sweethearts. And um, we broke up, went to different colleges. We were kind of too smart for our own good. Um, she was really smart, um, and I wasn't so smart. Um, and then we were like, man, we're not going to stay in together in college, and so let's just let's break up. Let's make it easier right now. And um, we did the whole dating, not dating thing. Anyone ever do that, right? We're like, we're not together, but kind of really. Um, and then I went back at her or after her or whatever. I don't know. I might go Jose at her. I chased her down and tried to woo her, and she gave me the stiff arm. Yeah, she told me no, sophomore year of college, broke my heart, devil woman, um, just kidding, and, uh, and so we actually didn't keep up for about three years, um, and then God just brought us back into each other's lives, and we have this awesome love story, you could ask us about it one time, and we'd talk for about 45 minutes, um, but man, we would get on the phone, and we would just talk about how we were back together for like an hour, and my buddies would just make fun of me, they'd be like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? They're like, y'all just get on the phone and you just talk about how you can't believe you're back together. And you've been doing that for like three straight months. I was like, no, no, we don't, dude. No, we don't. We talk about lots of stuff. And we really didn't. We just talked about each other. And we just wanted to hear each other talk. There was just this kind of like puppy love phase. And it was no different when I first started following Christ. When I, man, I understood the gospel and I heard that God loved me because he was loving, not because I was lovable, but even in my sin that he loved me. And then I look back on, on, on 15 years ago when I first started following Jesus, and it just made 
all the sense in the world, and everything was simple, and I, I love God and I love people. But little by little along the way, what can happen is you can kind of just get away from it. And so what Paul's doing is he's going, Galatians, you've gotten away from it. You're moving towards effort towards rules, not effort towards applying the gospel. And what I want to actually do is draw your attention back to when you first believed. How did you get the gift of the Spirit? Right, and if we look at Acts 10 and 11, this is where we were last, um, last semester, uh, we see this picture in redemptive history of the Spirit falling on the Gentiles. So Acts 2 is this, this picture of the day of Pentecost where, the, where the God's gift of the Spirit falls on the Jews. And then Acts 10 and 11, we see this picture with Cornelius and Peter, and the Spirit is actually given to the Gentiles. Okay, and I want to read for us. I actually have sugar packets in my, in my Bible um, as, as page markers. But uh, if you want to turn there real quick, and act, turn to Acts 10 and, and chapter uh, 11. But Acts 10 is, is this vision that God gives uh, Peter and then ultimately, or Cornelius and ultimately Peter. And he kind of connects their, 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 uh, their lives. And there's this awesome intersection where Peter's explaining the gospel to Cornelius and his family and everyone in his household. And they believe, and the Spirit falls. As a gift, and it's powerful. And then in Acts 11, Peter's having to defend this to Jews, okay? Because this is a whole new iteration in God's redemptive history. And he's having to explain this to his Jewish bros, and he's going, guys, God doesn't show any favoritism. Jew or Gentile alike, you're saved by faith, okay? You're saved by the, the perfect work of Jesus, and it, it doesn't matter. And so he says this. He's explaining what's going on or what had happened um, to his Jewish brethren, Peter is, in Acts 11, 5. He says, as I began to speak, I'm sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his household. The Holy Spirit, excuse me, 11.15, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us in Acts 2 at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is Jesus promising the gift of the Spirit to come. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And then they all become silent, and they glorify God, and he says, so then God has given repentance as a gift, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. This is what Paul is calling this Gentile Galatian church to remember. Hey, when I first came and preached the gospel to you, and you received the Spirit, was it by works of the law, or was it by faith? Well, it was by faith, right? They, they hadn't even received the law. They didn't know what the law really was. They heard the gospel, they believed, and God gifted them the Spirit, full acceptance into his family, completely new identity. So for, for, for the Christian, okay, um, in a more contemporary way, man, when you first believed, when you heard the gospel, I don't know where you were. To me, for me, I was at a church camp, and I had heard the gospel a million times, but I had never heard the gospel. And for the first time in my life, I heard not Jesus died for the sins of the world, but Jesus died for critter's sin. And it broke me. And I wept like a little schoolboy, and I embarrassed myself in front of my camp girlfriend, and I snotted on myself. And it was just this crazy experience where I was just like, God died for me. God died for me. Like, not to make it all about me, but if I didn't have sin, then Jesus didn't have to die, right? Like, it was personalized for me. When that happened for you, if it did, if you're a Christian, how did that happen? Was it just by grace through faith, or was it because you were following the rules? Was it because you were performing the law? It was by grace through faith, okay? And so Paul 
is going, remember the beginning of your faith. Remember how it first started. He's trying to give some nostalgia to these young Christians into us, okay? And so principle number one, we continue in the Christian life the way we first commenced, okay? We continue in the Christian life the way we first commenced. There's a temptation to get away from the gospel, to treat it like the ABCs of Christianity, not the A to Z, okay? And I'm, so I'm going to use some theological language for us. Um, but we are justified by faith in the Christian life when you believe the gospel, okay? Um, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you are justified, you are declared righteous, okay? And track with me here, even though you are not, you are declared to be so, right? The reality that you are not righteous is not changed, but because you are united with Christ, that declaration of righteousness is put on your account, okay? That's justification. What we're getting into here is sanctification. It's now this process of the Christian who has been declared righteous to actually be conformed to that reality. To little by little by little, the spirit of Jesus being put in you and transforming you to make you look less like you and more like him. That whole process starts with faith and it carries on with faith. And the temptation for us is to self-sabotage and not carry that on with applying the gospel, but actually applying rules. Okay? And we're going to get into a lot of practical application here, but I'm trying to tease out Paul's line of reasoning. Okay? So we can't get away from the gospel. Uh, let me say it this way. The gospel is like oxygen. Okay? The gospel is like oxygen. Picture somebody um, maybe who needs to be resuscitated, um, and maybe you're doing the resuscitating. Okay? You're doing mouth-to-mouth. -mouth, I don't know. You're, you're doing chest compressions, whatever that is. I'm picturing Michael Scott and Dwight right now. Uh, it's a hilarious episode. Um, but But... The gospel is like oxygen. Man can't make it. Man can't live without it. Okay? So <laughs> someone gets resuscitated. They get oxygen pushed into their lungs so it can get into their blood cells, into the extremities of their body. It can get into their brain. They can start working. And then when they come back, they come to. Uh, you, you put an oxygen mask on them. Okay? Um, it, it, it revives them, but then it sustains them. It keeps them going. And, and they don't, like, kind of get to a point where, like, man, I'm good. Where's the CO2? Right? It's not like, uh, I'm done with this oxygen stuff. Like, let's get on to the next stuff. It's like, no, you need oxygen. You, it gives life and it sustains life. And the gospel is like that spiritually. It gives us life. We start with it, okay? But it carries us on, okay? And we, we live by it, all right? We can't move beyond it, okay? We run on it. So that's the first. Remember... Remember how you started. Remember the beginning of your faith. And so if you're a Christian, again, I want to call you back to just a, a point of nostalgia, how you started. All right? How you started was just faith, clinging to Jesus and what he did for you, okay? But then Paul's line of reasoning goes a little broader. He says, don't just remember your faith. Remember the beginning of the faith, okay? And this is just a brilliant, um, Tim Keller calls this a master stroke. And it seems kind of random where he goes with it. Um, but, but it's really brilliant, okay? Uh, look at verse 6. He goes, I'm not just saying this for you. I, I'm saying this is how it, it's always been for, for every person of faith. Think back to the father of faith, back to Abraham. So he goes, just like Abraham, verse 6, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now what Paul is calling our attention back to is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Okay? So Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. All right, you see the promises of God three times to Abraham in Genesis. Chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 18. Okay, in 15, 6, 
and, and I don't know if you grew up in the church and maybe you saw these stories on a felt board. I don't know how old y'all are. I grew up with felt boards, right? Um, but this is, this is the story of, of God promising Abraham descendants. And he, he leads him outside his tent. He says, look up. Stare at the stars of the heavens. You're going to have descendants that are more numerous than that. There's a problem, though. Because when God gives Abram, and it's not Abraham yet, but when God gives Abram this promise, he doesn't even have a son yet. And he's old, right? He, he's kind of past the point of being able to, to have a, a, a kiddo, and he's going, God, you're giving me this promise of a lineage, and I don't even have an heir. And it says, Abram believed God, and God credited that belief to him as righteousness. All right, what he's not saying here is because Abraham had faith, he's righteous. Okay, that's not what it's saying. It's saying even though Abraham wasn't righteous, God saw his faith, and in God's grace, God put on his merit righteousness. Okay, that's how Abram started. So long before circumcision showed up, which is later in Genesis, long before the law and Moses shows up, the way God had ordained his interaction to be with his people is by grace through faith. And so here these Galatians are going to the law to carry on their walk with God. And he's going, in doing that, you're actually getting away from the promises. You're going into legalism. And he's calling them back. All right? So um, Abraham starts that way. Look at verse 7. He says, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Okay? What are the Judaizers telling the Galatian Christians? Hey, you're not Christian enough. You believe the gospel, but now you actually have to get circumcised. You have to follow the law, and you have to become almost Jewish. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. The Abraham's sons and daughters are those of faith. Because the scripture in verse 8, and this is so cool, guys, saw in advance that God would justify not just the Jews but the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Right, and so he's quoting Galatians, I mean, excuse me, Genesis 12, 3. So I want you to catch this. In Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible, what Galatians is telling us, what Paul is arguing, is the gospel was preached back then. Are you tracking with me? So the gospel isn't this add-on to the story of God. It's not just, hey, the New Testament comes in and we got the gospel. The gospel is all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. Paul says the gospel was preached to Abraham. Long before Jesus ever showed up, the gospel, the purposes of God to save the world was preached all the way back then to Abraham. And so if you flip your Bible back all the way to Galatians 12.3, what do you see? You see God's promise to Abraham that through him all the nations will be blessed. What's the gospel? What's the good news? It's Jesus Christ. It's the one that would come through Abraham's lineage, and that's why the whole Bible, what threads it together, as crazy as the 66 books are, is a lineage of one singular person, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of God's promises all the way back in the beginning. And Jew or Gentile alike, outside the law or under the law, is only righteous by God's grace through faith, not through performing the law, okay? You tracking with that? Faith in God's promises isn't a new way, it's always been the way, okay? So he's going, don't self-sabotage, don't go towards rules, keep it on the gospel, okay? And then I want to tie us off in 10 through uh, 14 
and then I want to spend some time, actually more time than I usually do, on some practical kind of pragmatic application. How does this play itself out in sanctification in the life of a believer? But look at Paul's third kind of movement of argument. Verses 10 through 14. This is what he says. He says, recognize the curse of the law and recognize the purpose of the cross. Okay, I'm going to read the passage for us again. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Okay, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, what Paul's doing is he's going back to the law. He's going back to Deuteronomy 27, 26. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law. Okay? And in Deuteronomy 27, 26, this statement is there. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Right? So, uh, in my neighborhood, uh, they're laying fiber optic cable. Okay, so Smithville. I'm an AT&T guy. I might switch to Smithville because I need to watch like six or seven movies at the same time, you know. Um, but I, I need fiber optics. Like I don't know how I've lived without it. But they're laying fiber optics, okay. Now, undoubtedly, fiber optics is faster. And, it, I mean, and uh, there's probably somebody in you. I'm, I'm not even going to quote stuff because you're just going to call me out later. You're like, you know fiber optics, actually. And I'm like, all right, dude, I get it. I didn't do my research well. Fiber optics is fast, Okay. And, and it's really fast. It's super fast, okay? Undoubtedly, there's going to be somebody that's not going to call 611 before they dig, okay? Maybe it's going to be me. I don't know. I'm going to plant a new tree. I'm going to do something. And my fingers are so heavy, I just can't dial 611. And then I, I'm definitely not going to wait for somebody to come paint up my driveway, man. I don't like my driveway with paint on it. So I'm just going to dig the hole. And actually, I did this a year ago, and I hit something. I was like, yeah, I don't think I should have hit that. Um, and somebody's going to hit that fiber optic cable, and my really fast internet in a couple years or a couple months um, is just going to go out. Like, so everything about that cable through the entire neighborhood, fine. Right? Electricity, information, whatever, whatever's going through there is going through there great. But one tiny spot. And it completely makes the whole line of fiber optics absolutely unusable until they fix it. It's kind of how the law works, okay? What Paul is saying is, I don't care if you get the law 99.99999% right. If you fail it in one spot, then you get the curse of the whole law. Are you tracking? So in, in our contemporary age, the way we think about morality and ethics, all that kind of stuff, it's really like, man, yeah, I, I think I can, I think I can be righteous before God. I can get that ticket into heaven kind of thing if if I just like let my good works outweigh my bad. We have this balancing act that we go with. That's not how the law talks about the law, all right? Because Deuteronomy makes it really clear that the law puts you under a curse if you fail to uphold it. Okay, so are you tracking? So these Galatian Christians are going to the law to try and continue on their Christian life. And he's going, that's actually not going to help you. It's going to put you under a curse because if you can't uphold every single aspect of the law, you deserve judgment. You are under a curse, okay? Now track with him, okay? So he goes from Deuteronomy 27, and then he says, because this, in verse 11, it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. It doesn't work that way. There's not a righteous person. There's not some, like, good person hiding in the Amazon, right? It's like, what about that guy, right? And the, the person doesn't exist, okay? It's a red herring fallacy. No one is justified 
okay, before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. So he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, okay. So the righteous don't live by the law, they live by faith. The law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Leviticus 18, okay. So he's quoting all the stuff. And then he says this, 13, this is key. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse from us, or for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And what he's quoting there is Deuteronomy 21, 23. Okay, so I want you to grasp this. The early Christians undoubtedly saw Christ, the one righteous one, who at every single point in his life lived the perfect life, perfectly fulfilled the law, yet what he got was not blessing but cursing. Okay? He was hung on a tree. Okay? It was a picture in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, if someone was, was, was killed, they were stoned to death. Okay? If someone was hung on a tree in the Old Testament, you can go read it, multiple accounts. It was because it was a picture of divine cursing. Okay? It's not that they were hung on a tree and then they were cursed. It was a recognition of, man, this person is cursed and so they were hung on a tree. Okay? Thousands of years later, Roman crucifixion comes around, and Jesus is hung on a tree. And so very clearly what are, what's tethered together by these New Testament authors, by the, the early church, is they saw Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice. If he lived the perfect life, the one righteous one, and he was cursed, then us who believe in him, who deserve to be cursed, can now be righteous. It's the great exchange of the gospel. Are you tracking how incredible that is? So what Paul's saying is you need to recognize that if you go back to the law, all you're doing is putting yourself under the curse. But if you believe the gospel, you need to understand that Christ already took the curse on himself. That on that cross, he was cursed so that those who are in him can be righteous. And here's just the most jam-packed, powerful statement. From the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Is how Paul writes it to the Corinthians in chapter 5 in his second letter. Powerful stuff, okay? The purpose, the purpose is this. That the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay? So, tying it all off, Okay? Remember the beginning of your faith, remember the beginning of the faith, and then recognize the curse of the law and the purpose of the cross. Um, I have this conversation a lot with Muslims. I love, I love Muslims. Um, I spend a lot of time with Muslims, spend a lot of time in Turkey. And it's a fascinating conversation um, because uh, a lot of my Muslim friends, um, they don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. Uh, a lot of them will believe that, that Jesus was actually not put up there. He was taken down unknowingly by the Roman uh, centurions, it was actually Judas that was crucified. Um, but what's powerful is you, you actually sit there and ask the question, why is Christianity so obsessed with this person that was promised back in Genesis 12? And why is it so obsessed not just with his life but his death, his hanging on a tree? you got to ask the question, like why is the cross so central? It's because for the Christian it's the great exchange, Okay. What Paul is telling them, and what I think he's telling us this morning, is we got to carry on how we commenced. we got to continue how we started. Okay? 
He's talking about sanctification, and it's by remembering the gospel. So I want to get a little pragmatic for us, and we're going to go a little long. I apologize, but hey, I have the microphone. Here's my sugar packets, by the way. Um, what does this look like? Okay. The gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Track me? Track with me? The gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Okay? Following Christ infers effort. You can't follow without effort. Okay? So don't hear me wrong. The question is, where are you applying your effort? And I'm talking to Christians in here. Where are you applying your effort? Okay? Do you put effort towards applying the gospel day in and day out in your life, or do you put effort towards following the rules? Because it's two different things. Okay? Effort towards following the rules. This is what this looks like. Okay? And it, it seems easier to go this route. It seems clearer. It seems black and white. Um, but this is, how, in our contemporary culture, how, how we, 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 we go at it. We hear the gospel. We believe. We become Christians. Yet, we get away from the gospel and we pick up the Ten Commandments. Right? So, so we'll start with that. Let's just start with the big ten. And then we add little things here or there, depending on what kind of subculture of Christianity we're in. But we have this kind of unsaid rule list. And that's how we think we carry on in the Christian faith. Yet that's, that's not what Paul's talking about. It's actually the opposite. He's, he's going, you foolish Galatians who, belich, who bewitched you. You nincompoops. You're applying the law. You're applying rules. You need to apply the gospel. Okay? That's effort towards following rules. What does effort towards applying the gospel look like? It's actually harder. It's not easier. And I want you to, to track with me here, okay, because this is really important. The gospel goes beneath the surface of your heart. The gospel goes beneath the surface of your heart. It's not simple do's and don'ts, okay? Um, it's, it's getting beneath what you do do or what you don't do and asking the question of motivation. Why do you do what you do? Or why do you not do what you do, okay? If you put effort towards applying the gospel, what it's going to do is it's going to force you to go deeper. Okay, and I want to play this out again. I'm going to get super pragmatic on, on this, okay? Let's take one of the Ten Commandments. If you're following rules, let's just take, let's take an easy one, adultery, okay? Don't commit adultery. All right, we got ten rules, and if you read the Ten Commandments right now, I bet you can't, I bet you haven't followed all ten of them. Um, nobody has. So, but let's just take do not commit adultery. It's like, okay, that's one. I, I feel good about that one, right? I, 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 haven't, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't taken another man's wife, okay? Um, at its face, if we decide to live by the Ten Commandments, we put our effort into following, and it seems easier. It seems black and white, okay? The problem is um, we can nuance the rules, can't we? We can get around the rules, you know? Um, you know, we start to, to make kind of like um, statements inside and, and just like eternal kind of reasonings of like, man, well, if it's not physical and it's just emotional, is it really adultery, Right? Or if she's my true love, my soulmate, is it, is it really wrong? Right? Wouldn't God want me to be happy? You know, um, golly, there's so many things here. But, but are you tracking with my, what, what I'm saying? Like, we have a way in our heart of hearts to get around the clear black and white rules that we then set up for ourselves. Okay? 
And so it's not helpful. Um, and then even if you draw the line back even further and you go, okay, well, Jesus comes in in the Sermon on the Mount and draws the line not here of don't commit adultery, but all the way back here of just like, man, if you even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So, okay, we'll draw the line back even here. But you can still make that a rule, and you can, you can still nuance your way around it, right? So um, just bear with me. Um, what if it's not really like someone else? It's just kind of like a video or a picture of them, you know? Right? What, what if it's not really a person? It, it's just a screen, right? What, what if it's if it's I'm not lusting? I'm just admiring. I'm just I'm just reading the menu, right? I'm not ordering. Am I right? Right, we, we, our, our, our wicked hearts have a way of just working itself around rules. This is why Paul's going, don't apply your effort to following rules. Apply your effort to applying the gospel. Here's what it looks like to apply the gospel to that. You start to ask deeper questions. You start to ask questions, not did I or did I not do that, but why did I do that? What am I looking for? What am I longing for? What am I hoping for? And beneath that, you start to go, what am I believing or not believing about God that's making me desire that? You see how much deeper that is? That it, gets, it just lays our hearts bare, okay? The gospel and applying the gospel over applying rules actually takes more effort, okay? It's harder to actually be a Christian than to be a legalist, okay? Uh, it, it actually leads to less loopholes, okay, because it gets in, into motivation of our actions, and it, it gives us ultimately more strength because it lets us rely on the resources of the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead that's dwelling in us, and it gives us humility, right? Because if you apply rules, you either fail at it and you sit under condemnation, condemnation or you succeed at it and you become prideful because you did it on your own effort. But applying the gospel, you can't stare at a crucified Christ and go, man, I got this down. I'm killing it. This Christianity thing is a cinch. You know, what's next? Got this. This is great. No, when you start applying the gospel, you start going lower, deeper into the recesses of your heart. And what are the motivations? Okay, again, I'm, I'm teasing this out pretty um, laboriously, but I think it's important. Why did I look at that video? Why did I stop on that swipe? What's beneath that? What am I longing for? It starts to allow you to really know yourself. And by God's grace, if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you start to feel conviction, and you start to, to have an illumination to what you're looking for. You can maybe, just maybe, get to a point where you can start to say, man, this tells me something about my desires. It tells me I'm lonely. It tells me I'm longing for intimacy. But beneath even those desires, it tells me what I'm believing. It tells me I think I can find a cure to my loneliness in this. It tells me I think I can find a satiation to my desires for intimacy in this. And then the Christian can step back and go, this isn't real. This is a mirage. This video is not flesh and blood that can really provide intimacy that, that, that God designed me for. Like, it's, it's an amalgamation, a conglomeration of plastic, metals, and sand. That's what you're looking at on your phone. Of course it can't satiate your deepest desires of intimacy and connection. What are you doing? You're looking 
through the created to provide you what only your creator can provide. Okay, this is a little diagram I use with our leaders that I call two trees. Following the rules is looking at the first tree and seeing bad fruit on it and just kind of picking the bad fruit off. It's like, you know, if you ever have, you know, I have two apple trees in my backyard that, that didn't really produce fruit. They just produ produced fungus. And I was just like, oh, that's bad. So I'm just like ripping the leaves off. But like that's not dealing with the fungus. I have to go down into the root system. There's something in the soil. It's no different than the Christian life. If you're following the rules, you're just picking off fungus. You're picking off nasty fruit. You're like, yeah, I know that's wrong. Let me just deal with the action. When you start applying the gospel, not applying rules, you go down into the root. And you go, what's going on in, my, in the roots of my heart that I need to address? And then you go back up and go, how am I believing the gospel that God calls me his beloved? How am I believing the gospel that God loves me because he is loving and he can be the deepest source of intimacy for my soul? That I can find it in the creator, not the created. And so if God does grant me the gift of a relationship, I don't crush it under just the weight of my expectations. But I can be someone that steps into that and give, not just take. Right? Are you all tracking with me how radically that different that is as a Christian? Sort of? Kind of? Again, I'm being laborious. I'm teasing this out. I'm 10 minutes over. You're like, oh, golly, I got to go watch the Super Bowl. I got a pregame and pregame and pregame. And I don't even like those teams because I've never even hooted and hollered and critter announced it on the front end of the service, and I haven't taken a breath in two minutes. Track with me. Don't apply rules. Apply the gospel. Apply effort, but apply in the right place. The gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. But where are you putting your effort? And are you getting away from the gospel that you started with? Are you self-sabotaging because you think rules are cleaner and clearer and easier to go after? They're not. They're not. And there's a lot of loopholes. I want to end with this, okay? Man, there's so much here. Um, hey, we got next week. That sounds great. Okay. Um, I'm going to tease this out next week. Uh, I want to end with the first verse we looked at. Okay, and I'll read it again. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you, and this is key, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, this is what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who can say, Jesus died for me. Okay? A Christian is someone who can say, Jesus died for me. The Galatians, not a one of them, was in Jerusalem at Mount Calvary, watching Christ be crucified. Not a one of them. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, like, the gospel was so real to you, so vivid to you, so clear to you, that you saw Christ crucified for you. And you got away from it. Okay? The Christian isn't someone who believes rightly that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the third day, right? Like, like we're robots and we're quoting it right to get into heaven. If that's where you're at, you're where I was. And the most loving way I want you to hear, you don't love God, you're using God. Because you want God to owe you something. And you think if you believe things the right way, you're going to get it. That's not loving God for who he is. It's using God. A Christian is someone who sees Christ publicly portrayed as crucified, and it melts them. It melts them, and it changes them. What is 
the secret to us continuing on the way we started. It's not losing sight of that picture. It's not becoming numb to that reality. It's not carrying on and forgetting just how sweet and how good it was when it first started. Okay, so that's what I want to leave us with. Let me pray for us. And uh, hey, I have half my sermon written for next week. So come on back. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for uh, just the reminder of the gospel. And we are so aware of our tendency to self-sabotage. Our, our hearts um, just lean towards rules and towards regulations and towards law, towards performing. And man, we just thank you that we, we can put effort into this thing called the Christian life. We can work out the salvation that you have worked into us. But I pray that we would put that work in the right place that you'd help us be people that consistently apply the gospel to our lives, that preach it to ourselves day in and day out. That don't get away from it. Don't move past it. And I pray that you'd mature us because of it, that, that we would look more and more like the perfect image that is your son and less and less like ourselves, that you would transform us. And the fruit of that would be evident, not in things we necessarily do or don't do or ethics or morals we have or things we wear all this kind of stuff but just the fruit of the spirit of Christ would be so evident in us that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control would just overflow from our lives in every aspect of our lives every part of our person and we would look radically different as a community and as you transform us you transform this church and as you transform this church you transform this city as you transform this city you transform that campus and you do it again in another college town and another college town and you do it only you can do which is bring the hope and the healing and the transformation to all the brokenness that we see in us and we see around us so we thank you for the gospel pray that we never get away from it that's this in the name of jesus christ Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.